If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. You're done with your Oreo. <laughs> yeah, done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, yeah, do we really know what happened? Yeah. The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mystery, murdery, thingy, thingy, You ready? You ready to roll? You ready to rock, man? <laughs> Ride or die. With the mysteries. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. (laughs) Donnie, you're out of your element. (laughs) I understand things now. I know, right? These men are cowards, Donnie. (laughs) Say what you want about the tenets of national socialism, at least it's an ethos. (laughs) If you will it, it is no dream, dude. Theodore Herzl, State of Israel. How long are you going to keep going for? That was it. That was all it's going to do. The dude abides. The dude abides. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's scroll. Whatever they say. I like the term uh, chuck it in the fucking bucket. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just watched the big... Chloe just saw the big Lebowski for the first time. Yay. Very recently, yes. It, yeah. Classic. There's a lot of, like, classic, quote-unquote, classic movies that I haven't seen. I don't like to talk about it, though, because people are like, Oh, my God, you ever seen blah, blah, blah? What is wrong with you? What if somebody was like, you've, you've never seen Taken 3? <laughs> <laughs> Give me back my daughter. <laughs> I've never seen any of the Taken movies. Even though I like action movies... I've when did seen... Liam Neeson become an action star? Like, I don't know. Wasn't he like just like a serious, like film actor, and then he turned fifty eight, and then he became an action star? I, I I don't get it. I don't think that's how that works. What is the trajectory of Liam Neeson's career? That's a mystery. That's a mystery. We could. That's an episode. We can cover that. <laughs> right. Weird turns in people's acting we've been talking about robert downey jr a lot d-list to a-list d-list to a-list that could be a podcast this is not e-news <laughs> no that wouldn't be a podcast yeah that would be like a segment on e-news or tmz or something that would be like a tmz blog d-list to a-list Welcome to D-List to A-List. Who's I'm your host, Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm Juliana Rancic. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, I actually watched E-News, me and my mom. Oh, okay. E-News does great coverage of true crime. 
Have you ever watched? They have some great true crime documentaries. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. They have a good one about uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh-huh. Yeah. But she wasn't murdered. No, but they talk about celebrity deaths and stuff oh, okay. like that. But her death is sort of mysterious. Not really, because she just, like, overdosed on pills or whatever, right? Well, I've read that there are, like, inside, like, witnesses who say that they overheard her, or, like, being strangled or something like that. Yeah, people say lots of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So, what's going on here? Hey. Hey. What's up? What's up, dude? How you doing? No. Let me buy you a fifth sandwich. <laughs> Let me buy you a drink. Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. Mystery Murdery Thingy? Mysteries. Murderies. Thingies. Mystery Murdery Thingy. ba ba da ba 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 Go team. Yeah. Now make that into a trap remix. Someone. Not us. You. <laughs> what? I, you can do it. I think I'm doing enough. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, it's okay. You do a lot too. Anyway. Yes. What? Huh? What are you doing today? You're doing a mystery, a murder, or a thingy. Um, so mine it definitely involves a lot of murder, but not directly. So it's more of just a mystery. But it's a, definitely a very murdery, sad set of many, many mysteries. And should I go first, or are you, um, are you deferring to me? Well, yours is a bummer. Yeah, yeah mine's pretty sad, so sorry about that. So should that. we do yours, mine, then weird shit in the news? Or should we, like, do mine, yours, and lighten the mood Excuse weird me. shit in the news? Mm, what is yours? I have a ghost story. Oh, that's right. You're doing I have a, a ghost triple story. whammy. It's a mystery, murdery, and a thingy. Okay, I'll go first. Got it. And that we we'll, we could start dark, move towards the light. Move towards the light. Right. That's little light of man. That's what you do when you want to become a ghost, right? You just like you go towards the light. I forgot that I can't like sing on here, right? What do you mean? When I get like when we get like in trouble for copyright or something. We've been doing that. Literally since the first episode. No. We, we, wait, we have? We do that all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, like, sing, like, real songs and stuff. We've been doing that. Now, oh. we did one a few episodes ago where we sang a bunch of Disney songs. Or Disney's... I cut that out. Oh. So if I feel like it's egregious or Disney because they're, like, fucking assholes about that shit and they will go after you. I love ESPN, but... Disney, you're even a little much. Even the small town people like us. Oh, yeah. Even the fucking nobodies like <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Mario and Chloe, who the fuck are those people? I'm, cuss- I'm cussing a lot this episode. I'll stop yeah, so relax. much. Relax. Oh. Yeah, I was, I'm kind of wound up from... It was a, it's been a long day. But anyway, um, I was going to say to everybody, sorry about the sound on the last episode <laughs> before we get really started. It was weird. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> we don't need to get into it. Um, sorry about the weird sounds in the background. I, I tried to make it as low as I could. So, anyway, I think it's it's fine. Again, we're a lo-fi podcast. We set that expectation. 
right? Embrace the disgrace, take that attitude towards is, it. But This is know. a limbo game, okay? Hey, <laughs> we set the bar, you know? You want us to sound better? Give us a dollar on Patreon. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, I'm going to get started. Go. <laughs> okay, I'm going to talk about the disappeared children of Argentina's dirty war. Los AKA desaparecidos. Right, Los Niños Desaparecidos. Um, this is something, if you don't know about it, you should. This is going to be a good history lesson as well. And it's fucked up. It truly is. If but you've ever heard... This is something people... I feel... I, did, I wasn't aware of yeah. it until I learned about it in my Spanish class in high school. Right. Like, I didn't... I didn't... I had no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've ever heard someone use the, the term desaparecidos or the disappeared, like, this is... Uh, don't, Sorry, sorry, okay. sorry. <laughs> We're trying to cut down on the extra. I know, I noises. forgot. That's okay. Um, so, you know, this, it, yes, very big deal. And it's part of, you know, the, the disappeared children are, you know, one of the main parts of this. But it, it's part of a much larger context, like the historical context. And I was going to get into that a little bit. Um, before we, we start on kind of the main thing. So like I said, this was part of Argentina's so-called dirty war. Mm -hmm. And this was a period of essentially state terrorism where this, the, the, the state itself, the government itself was engaging in a, a pervasive campaign of terrorism against its own citizens. And this lasted from about 1976 to about 1983. Wow. And the, government at that point was a military junta um, which had overthrown in a violent well more or less violent coup the government which had preceded it which was the return of the Perón government mm -hmm. so if you've ever seen Evita mm -hmm. that's you know Juan Perón um, his third wife uh, succeeded him when he died and uh, she was the one who was technically overthrown by the coup that initiated the Dirty War. But of course, you know, Perón and his ilk, like every other, you know, leader, you know, through a certain period of Argentina's history, uh, was engaging in some form of corruption and violence. But the, in 1976, it, it went up to a whole different level. Don't cry for me, Argentina! But, correct. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, right? A little off key. Um, do cry for Argentina in this instance because it is fucking tragic. Um, so this this whole but it's also know, very interesting and important, which I think we should stress. Yeah, definitely. So this was basically a crackdown on communists, students, those who the government perceived as leftists. Or, you know, having something to do with communism or socialism. And the military junta, at least at first, to some extent, was um, supported by the Ford and Carter administrations here in the, in the U.S. There was a perception, I, I think before the real atrocities came to light, that the, um, the coup, you know, was, like I said relatively peaceful it wasn't too violent in and of itself and there was a perception in the united states well communism needs to be contained right that was kind of the whole you know ethos through the the cold war mm -hmm. you know keep it in russia keep it in china don't let it spread to the western hemisphere that plus you know the monroe doctrine 
um, which we've always taken, you know, to sort of mean like this is our. And this was about the same time, right? As what? As our. As the Cold, Cold War. War yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. This is in the heart of the Cold War. In and America. Right, but between the United States and Russia, you know, at all, um, and you know. Not only was the, was the disappeared children a part of the Dirty War in the same respect, the Dirty War itself was part of a much larger conflict, um, which was called Operation Condor, which involved many, many countries throughout Central and South America and the U.S. through our CIA. And it was a, an effort, a coordinated effort amongst these governments to suppress that you know, perceived communist influence that they felt was you know, taking over a lot of the governments in um, South America. And it's... Suppress meaning many different things, I suppose, I assume? Yeah, su suppress, you know, definitely including things like illegal arrests, torture, killing, forced disappearances. So the, the worst things that you can imagine. And about 30,000 people were killed. Jeez. Over this period, that's the best estimate that people have. You said seventy six to eighty three. That's like uh, seven, seven years. Yeah, seven, seven years. Yeah, seven years. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, definitely. So you know there were um, mass shootings. You know, um, but people were also literally thrown out of planes. <gasps> so the, these are the 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 death planes or the death flights <gasps> or whatever. Oh my god! And this was done partly just because of the huge mass of people that were being killed. You know, they, they didn't have room or the resources to house all of these bodies that they were accumulating. But it was also done in an effort to hide the crime itself, to not leave behind those mass graves that could be found. Um, you know, when, when, when eventually, you know, the, uh, the crimes were uncovered. And, and I think they always knew that they would be, you know, while they were doing these things. It's so insane. Um, and they also ran about 340 secret concentration camp prisons, housing about 12,000 people, mo mostly, you know, political prisoners. And, and when I say concentration camps, I, I mean that in the truest, most literal sense. They literally took their cues from the Nazis and wow. used what they had learned from the Nazi regime on their own people. Why? Yeah. Was this all because they thought these people were communists and going to take over the government? Right, because they wanted to guarantee that their, um, that their rule was, was going to perpetuate and they, they felt that these leftists, these communists, not only, you know, it's, it's, it's not only for them a political ethos, this is um, a, a cultural ethos and, and a, a way of being. To them, it was tied up in uh, also a sense of religiosity, uh, that, that if, if you were communist or a leftist, then you, you were an atheist. Whereas if you were a true patriot, and a true moral person than you were a Catholic. And the Catholic Church was actually uh, complicit, if not involved, in some of the, um, some of the atrocities themselves, including Surprise! the death <laughs> Catholic Church doesn't have a great track record. Sorry, a lot of religions don't. 
Um, they also do a number of wonderful things. I'm My an, religion does. I'm an ex-Catholic myself. The Orioists, of course, are the, yep. the right, the most benevolent of religious people. Yep. Um, so it's, it's really sick, right? The, the military junta's name for what they did, for all these things that we've just been describing. Yeah. Their name for it was Proceso de Reorganización Nacional, or National Reorganization Process. That's what they called it, the National Reorganization Process. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the sense of, like, dehumanization. Like, they felt like they, they were... It seems I, like boxes that they're shuffling around. Yeah, I don't get it. And tossing but, out. Right. And but, sorting. But this, you know, cl- clearly they did not see these people as people. You know, and, and that's that seems like very much at the heart of this. So what makes, what would have, what is the criteria for the government to go after you? Why would, why would they accuse you of being a, a communist? It, it was a whole range of things. Was it like journalists? Since I feel like journalists would be easy targets or something like that. Yeah, right? definitely journalists, students, um, organizers, you know, people who ran uh, unions, but it, it could be very small things, and it could simply be perception. Like, there were a number of students in a certain school who were killed or disappeared, um, probably killed, simply because they formed, like, a student union, like a, like a student government, and they participated in that. And therefore, wow. they were seen as somehow a threat to the government, I suppose. And, uh, and they were, they were <gasps> disappeared. Um, there were other people who were involved in um, violent resistance against the military junta. Um, the Morenists, I think, was the main group. So there, there were certainly people who, you know, were, were engaged in, in counter-violence. But that was not, um, you know, necessary, certainly, to be targeted by the, the military junta. It could be for, for any number of reasons or really for no reason, simply because they wanted to take you or they... they you know, perceive something you were doing in the wrong way, which is typically the case in very autocratic regimes. I mean, look at what's happening in Turkey right now, where if you're perceived as a Gulenist, you know, as, as somehow beholden to Fatullah Gulen, you know, the supposed fomenter of the coup that, uh, attempted coup that happened a couple of years ago in Turkey, um, then you, but it, but it could be just because of something you said and it had a certain shade of meaning and you wrote it on Facebook nowadays, and and therefore you're a, a terrorist. Okay. You know, it's okay. it's that sort of mindset, and and it happens again in in many different countries throughout time. Yeah. Um. But you know, this this is a really really bad example of it. And like I said, we're we're, we're not going to get into everything that they did by any means. The Operation Condor, the Dirty War. Uh, there's so many mysteries that you know, were created from all this because it's governments trying to hide their crimes and therefore mysteries yeah, will occur. Yeah, it seems occur. like just cover-up after cover-up. Exactly. And and the main theme of what we're going to talk about today is is the uncovering of those cover-ups. Um, yeah. Because we're, we're going to... Right. We're, this is where... That's where the real interesting stuff comes in. Excuse me. So, like I said, we're going to talk about the children, right? Think of the children. But seriously, like that's a cliche, but, but seriously. Um, so when the Argentine government of this era, of the dirty war, when they would capture um, a person 
and they happened to be a pregnant woman or they became pregnant during their captivity, usually through the rape from their prison guards, which of course happens in prisons all over the world for far, far too often. But um, in these instances, they would keep them jailed just long enough so they would give birth. Sometimes they would let them hold the child for a few hours. Sometimes they would let them, you know, uh, breastfeed the child for a few days or a few weeks. But eventually the mother would be taken and would be killed. Why? It was part of this, this campaign. I right, guess none of, of this. Well, I, I guess none of my questions really make sense because, like, well, it always comes back to the same thing. They they want to get rid of their perceived enemies. When you run a government in such a way that you are more um, that 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 you're more focused on who your enemies are and how to get rid of them than being beholden to the will of the people you're supposed to serve, these these are the kinds of things that can happen. This is the kind of the logical extension of that. And when they would kill the mother, they would then give away the child or sell the child to a family whom they deemed as acceptable, right? And this is part of that whole cultural notion of what's going on here that I was talking about earlier, too. And that, that it also kind of always comes back to that um, what, what the military junta perceived was that the enemies that they had in the current time their children would then be the seeds, sort of the evil seed of the next generation that would then overthrow them. Of course, they never got that far, right? Because, fuck, you would hope not, right? It, something like this shouldn't last a day, let alone seven years. But um, that was kind of their, from their perspective, what they were trying to do. They were trying to kind of reorganize, right, the, the children of some of the children of these dissidents to encourage, you know, the, the right thinking families, so to speak. That's nuts. Yeah. And, and, and like I was, I was going to say before that this, that this, uh, process of doing that is, I think maybe the worst thing that they did. I think it, it's maybe the of, separating of the them. evil, yeah. separating the mothers from the children and giving the children away or selling them. There's, I, I don't know if there's anything that could be worse than that. That's so messed up. Yeah. Um, so let's let's kind of get into it a little bit here. So they were the disappeared, right? They were some of the disappeared. I mean, there were 30,000 people who were disappeared, most of whom were killed. But these were disappeared children um, who, you know, they, they at least didn't kill them, I suppose. I guess. If you want to give any silver lining to what they did here. At least they didn't murder the children. Um, and there were about 500 children, that's the best estimate, yeah, yeah, that yeah. were disappeared in this way. And the military junta ensured that their previous identities would remain mysterious, right? Like we were talking yep. about before, like creating those mysteries, including by changing birth certificates, other official documents, you know, um... Uh, getting rid of documents, obviously, like we said before, getting rid of some of the bodies of the parents, um, you know, just really trying to hide their tracks. But as they grew up, some of these children did start to learn the real story of their lives and where they came from. And each of them, or, you know, a couple of groups that we're going to talk about in a minute, did um, 
start to unravel some of the some of those individual mysteries. But you know, it it is kind of not one mystery, but five hundred plus mysteries that we're talking about here. Yeah. Each with their own individual dynamics, with their own backstory, with their it's own like total, history. It's five hundred different I- identities. Exactly, and and even more because each of these people has, in a sense, a bifurcated identity. The identity that they had as a child before they were given away or sold, and then the identity that they had moving forward, or even more than that, because then before they knew and then after they knew. But anyway, um, the the movement, though, to dispel those official mysteries, to get to the bottom of these 500-plus you know, mysteries of the missing children, um, was started in a sense, on April 30th, 1977. And on that day, Azucena Villaflor de De Vicente and about a dozen other of the mothers of some of the disappeared people um, began weekly marches in uh, the Plaza de Mayo in, mm-hmm. in Buenos Aires. And um, unfortunately, uh, Mrs. Uh, De Vicente was one of those murdered in the death flights. And she was specifically targeted, you know, because she started, um, she, she helped to start this organization that uh, grew out of these weekly marches. And um, that's uh, two parallel organizations. One is called the Mothers of Plaza de Mayo, and the other one is called the Grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo. Wow. So they're, they're, they're similar. They work together, but they have sort of slightly different focuses. These are like very brave very brave people. Extremely. I mean, think about that. This started in 1977. So for another six years, they were doing these marches in defiance of a government that they knew was killing tens of thousands of people. Um, it, it is staggering. I mean, it's, yes, it's the courage of a mother, but, you know, like we talked about in, in the Disappeared Students episode, not every mother would do this. Not every parent would do yeah, this. Yeah. You know, it does drive them, but these individuals had clearly had something special about them that they were willing to do this, to put their lives on the line, not only to get back, you know, their own history and their own children, perhaps, but also other people, you know, and that's, that's it's just, yeah, so admirable. And these marches that they did every week did start to bring attention to their cause domestically, but also globally. This was a huge story all over the world. And that was partly because these mothers and grandmothers, you know, refused to be silent. They, 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 and it, you know, I I watched a a good little documentary on a New York Times story about this. And they talk about, you know, it's, it's the most universal thing in the world. A mother wanting to regain her child, a grandmother whose child is dead, wanting to regain their grandchild. Like, everyone, obviously, you you would have to be literally a Nazi or want to be like them to not feel that and to not identify with that and, like, also want to help them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or identify with them at, at the very least. So, um, the, uh, the, the... The high-profile nature of the marches was also partly because they were right outside of uh, La Casa Rosada, you know, which, again, you'll recall if you've seen Evita. Uh, this is the, the place from which, you know, she does that famous speech. Um, so that's that's where they would march? Right. It's That's the presidential headquarters. The Plaza de Mayo is the, the square that's right next to yep. it. So essentially this would be like, you know, walking up and down Pennsylvania Avenue. 
you okay. know, next to the White House. That's essentially what they were doing. Okay, so like I mentioned before, the marches led to the creation of those two parallel organizations. And their goal is to identify and reunify the disappeared children with their true families. So they've been working on this ever since then, um, you know, just tirelessly doing it. Um, At the beginning, they were doing, like, spy work. Like, one of them um, became the housekeeper in... A fa- like a family's house that they suspected of being one of the families that had received one of some of the children. Yeah. And, um, you know, they did other, other stuff, you know, going undercover, so to speak. But do the families who like receive the children know the circumstances? Okay. That's a good question. Not always. Okay. And not always to the same extent. Some of them were literally the people who killed their parents. So that's on one extreme. That's that ha- that happened. Oh my god! On the other extreme, um, there like the one kind of specific case we're going to talk mostly about. The parents weren't told anything really. They were just told, you know, here's a child, raise him in the right way, don't ask any questions, and they took the child. They're still on the hook, right? They're still liable legally for what they did. But, you know, I think there's some nuance there, right? There, and, and whether you treated the child well, I guess, at that point. But, you know, yeah, the, that's kind of a whole other aspect to it, right? Is that new family and then their relationship to the child and the child's relationship to them. And it's, it, it's very complicated, right? Um, So another thing that, you know, has made this even more mysterious for some of these families, right, for some of these individual mysteries, are that some of the grandparents didn't even know that their daughter was pregnant when they were captured. So some of them didn't even know that they had had missing grandchildren at all. You know, they didn't even know to look, necessarily. Um, you know, so, so that especially has made it difficult. And, um, one of those, Estella Barnes de Carlotto, who used to be a school principal, didn't find out until about two years after her daughter Laura had been taken that she had actually given birth in 1978. And, um, at that point, uh, Miss de Carlotto decided to join, um, the grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo and she actually became the president of that organization uh, about 10 years later and, you know, um, has been helping, you know, many, many families, dozens and dozens of families find their missing grandchildren. And here's a, uh, I've got a, a couple of um, quotes from her that I, I, I really like. Um, and, and she was in that documentary too. She seemed really, like we were talking about before, you know, like she had the courage. Um So she said about her work, quote, each case is a triumph of truth over lies, horror, and deceit, close quote. So I I think that really gets to the heart of it, right? It's the truth is what they're seeking, and that's always going to win out over lies, over over deceit. You know, the, the truth will out eventually because, you know, that's... That's just the nature of things, uh, apart from being the moral thing as well. 
Um, and, and here's an, another uh, good quote from her. Uh, quote, these predators thought that we women were weak and that we women, uh, and that we were going to stay at home crying in fear. They were wrong. Damn. They were wrong. Yeah. I know. And Damn. I got, when, when, and of course it's in Spanish, so I'm reading the subtitles. Immediate respect. Oh yeah. I got like chills when she said that. It's like, oh my God. Badass motherfucker. <laughs> like, Jesus. Like, yeah, no. Like, Mother Bear. Right? Like, talk about uh-uh. Mother Bear. Uh-uh. Like, <laughs> no. You're not gonna fucking take our children and not tell us anything and expect us to just go home. Yeah. Not gonna happen. Never was gonna happen. Um, yeah. Again, it's very sad, very tragic. But this is also very inspiring. It's also very inspiring. You know, from tragedy, people emerge who inspire other people. Invariably, it happens. And and she is definitely one of those. And by April 2017, about a, um, or exactly, I suppose, 122 children had been found. Wow. So 122 out of, you know, over 500. So... That is a lot, but it's also not a lot, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess you, we kind of have to think about that, right? Why aren't there more, in a sense, as well? Um, but one of those 122 was uh, Miss De Carlato's grandson. So she did eventually find him. Wow. And this was in the summer of 2014. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, 36 whatever years later, and um, he was finally found, and it turned out that he was a famous musician who's actually the director of a uh, music conservatory named, uh, well, he used to be named Ignacio Urban. And Yeah, so Ignacio... I know. So Ignacio had always wondered, as, you know, some of these children did, whether he was one of those missing children, right? Whether he was one of the disappeared children. And, um, you know, he noticed that he didn't really look like his family. That was kind of the main thing that tipped him off, which some other ones said too. They just like had no family resemblance, but he also didn't think like them. You know, he wasn't like them. He didn't. And he said he made some choices in his life that they never would have made. And it was like very clear to him, like, I'm not like my parents. Like, I don't know if they're really my parents, which just seems very strange to be in that situation. So were there people that age that had to question their own family? Mm, Had to question their own family? Yeah, like... I I don't understand how you would know if you were, like, a disappeared child... Just because, like, your parents don't look like you, you would you would think, oh, maybe this horrible thing happened to me? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows about it. It's a super famous thing that happened. So that's what I'm saying. So, so like, there's, there's this whole generation of, like, mm-hmm. kids who, like, grew up with that kind of... Yeah. And they're thing, in... Um, way of thinking. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and they're, like, around my age, right? They're, like... Yeah. In their, you know... Um, you know, uh, mid to late thirties or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, there, there is a whole generation that, that has had to deal with that psychological phenomenon of like having to wonder. And, and some of them have, and, and some of them have, um, 
been told by their parents that they were adopted. Some of them weren't told anything, but some of them were told that they were adopted at least. So that may have also sparked something. So, but in, in, in Ignacio's case, um, he eventually found out that he had been given to a, like a rural farming family by their like powerful landowner. And like I said before, they were one of those ones who like, they weren't really told anything. They were just told like, here's a child, don't ask any questions. But, you know, when he was 36, um, Ignacio got a, a blood test and that's how m- most people find out nowadays. And there's like the specific organization that, that does them for this purpose and keeps a bank of, of all the DNA. Wow. And he learned that he was one of the, the disappeared. And at that point he changed his name to Ignacio Montoya uh, Carlato to, you know, and, and actually I, I believe they said it's actually mandated by law that when you're found to have been one of the disappeared children, that you have to actually change your last name to the name of your previous family, which not all of them want to do. Because unlike Ignacio, who really, you know, embraced, although he said it wasn't, like, perfect, you know, there were issues, right? Some of these missing children have resisted being integrated back into their, you know, previous families or, like, dealing with that situation at all. Well, how can you? It's really hard. It's, I think it definitely depends on the person. Oh, yeah. And the, and the kind of environment they're in to, like, take that kind of news. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, some people could be in complete denial mm-hmm. and just not believe it. And right. maybe And maybe not all of them had, like, a horrible life growing up either. Yeah, definitely. Some of them really loved their adoptive parents. Yeah, so I mean, it's, like, sad. So it's, like, super sad to, like, find that out. Yeah, exactly. And, like, if their parents... Even if you found out that your parents, like, knew about the circumstances, like, how would you feel? Right. Um, and there's a, a, a quote I was going to read about, um, you know, kind of making that point. And it's from an, an Argentine uh, geneticist who was exiled uh, during the Dirty War named uh, Dr. Victor B. Uh, Panchade, and um, he describes it this way, uh, quote, initially, most victims experienced psychological shock when their true identity was revealed, uh, close quote. And I think that's a good way of putting it, you know, psychological shock. And people will, yeah, deal with that shock in lots of different ways. And, you know, I think that's that's okay. And, and that's what the family said, too. You know, if you're not ready right now, you know, that's okay. You know, we're, we're here, you know, whenever you can kind of come to that place. Um, that, that was kind of the, the story that, that I heard, you know, coming up. Um, but the, the prosecution, you know, we were talking about how the families who received the children, you know, they're legally liable. So that is also a big, you know, kind of pain point. So um, when people where, take in account, like... Were people sent to jail and charged and stuff for that? Oh, yeah. Hundreds of people have been. Yeah, something like 700 people. Well, that's kind of all the people that have been charged with crimes for the dirty war generally. But okay, a, a, okay. a lot of those have also been, yeah, these people. Like families who took in, mm-hmm. or like couples who took in like a child. Yeah, when it's found out, it's immediately referred to the their, well, in their system, it's the courts. But, so but then it's do you have to referred. like prove to them that you didn't know? That's Which part is of it. Really that's mitigative, hard but it's not. To do. That's not dispositive. You know, that doesn't mean that you didn't commit a crime. I know. I yeah. know, but yeah. 
But no, that is definitely part of it. So there was, you know, one particular um, of the disappeared children, his name's uh, Hilario Baca, who said that he was, quote, not curious about his identity. You know, he never, <clears throat> excuse me, he never wanted this. And he, he was kind of the, the example of that kind of situation where they just weren't really interested in finding out about this whole thing. They were perfectly fine being that person, you know, in that family to whom they had been given. So, you know, they didn't want their lives to be disrupted. Um, which, like I said, that's also, you know, kind perfectly of understandable. Yeah. yeah. But the the main way that these reunifications have occurred it, since the 80s is through genetic testing. Yeah. And the the same... DNA analysis technique that allowed the Golden State Killer's, you know, great-grandparents to be found and then traced down to him. Family tree type stuff. Right, that's the same technique that they used for this. Because, of course, the vast majority of, if not all, of the parents are gone. They can't match with the parents. So they do DNA matching where they can match it with the grandparents or with the uncles or you know, whomever, this wider, you know, circle of family members. And in 1987, um, the National Bank of Genetic Data was created. That's that organization that, you know, facilitates these um, exams and everything. So, so that they did can things do increase? This. Did people, like, were more people starting to go to go find out who they are now that they could? I'm not sure what the rate has been over time. I mean, it's been 122 by whatever I said earlier, uh, 2017. So I'm not really sure, but the, I can't, I guess it can't be that many per year if it's, you know, it's been since 1977. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but about 10,000 people have been tested to see if they're one of the missing. So there have been a, a good number of people who have been tested. Um, and, and they also hold, you know, DNA of a lot of the people who were killed um, if they were able to recover the bodies. Although, like I said before, a lot of them were simply thrown into the ocean. And people have also used social media to, to search out their lost relatives. So that's kind of the other main way nowadays that people figure out these mysteries. Um, and, you know, all of these efforts and this, this whole kind of experience did play into um, what happened in 1989 at the UN where they passed the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which stated in part that nations must respect the rights of the child to preserve his or her identity, and uh, specifically identified this type of crime as a crime against humanity. Wow. So, and I think that's important, because like we were saying before, it is the most basic human instinct to identify with a mother caring for their child, right? I mean, there's there's nothing more human than that. And if you can't respect that, then clearly that is a crime against humanity. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Obviously. And the work of the mothers and the grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo and these other people, you know, working to uncover these mysteries have also helped tremendously in the prosecution of, you know, these crimes against humanity for the dirty war. Not only the missing children, but, but you know, other crimes as well. The disappearances, the killings. They have done such painstaking research 
and, 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 and such persistent research over the years that, you know, essentially they've been their own investigative force, yeah. you know, and, uh, it's, that's it's what it born seems fruit. like at least if yeah. they're like, we're the ones that were fighting back first. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, thankfully the government did eventually change, obviously not perfect. Right. But, you know, not murdering its own people by the truckloads. Yeah. And, and in fact, the government, you know, after this era eventually did, you know, institutionalize the uncovering of these mysteries so that we actually came full circle. The, the, the mysteries which had been instantiated by the government itself then were helped to be uncovered by oh, okay, okay, okay. the later versions of that same government. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting in that way, you know, the, the power of government can be used so effectively and has been used so effectively and so pervasively to create mysteries, you know, throughout all of time, including all the way up to today, here, every right now, every government at the local level and all the way up, you know, to the UN. But, um, you talk about government conspiracies. Oh, that would be a whole five parter. No. <laughs> oh my God. I do not want to go into that, but we can definitely find more. There are, there are a lot of government conspiracies. Okay. So, um, that was, that was pretty much all I had, but I'm going to do my sources. Yes. Um, so Wikipedia. Really? Wow. Um, I know. Right. Surprise. Something different. Right. Um, I read from, um, not all of, cause these are really long pages. Um, the dirty war, the one on the dirty war, um, mothers of Plaza de Mayo, grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo, operation Condor. And then I also read an article in The Guardian by Uki Gonyi and one by Clyde Haberman in the New York Times. That was where there was that little, um, it's called Retro Report, a uh, little documentary. It was really good. If you want to actually hear Ms. De Carlato or, or see her talk, uh, which I would definitely recommend, uh, look up that article in the New York Times uh, by Claude Haberman on the Retro Report. And then one by uh, Gaston Kavanaugh and Alan Hernandez at Vice. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah. So, that's the story. Oh, wow. That was that was a big one. Yeah. But it's important. It it's is. It's pretty fucked up. It is. I mean, we were talking about this, you know, before when I mentioned that I was probably going to do, do this story that, you know, it is very sad. It's very tragic, but it is, it is important, right? I think especially when we're talking about official mysteries it's important that people don't respect the will of their government in that respect, <laughs> right? Um, what they want to hide, we should try to uncover. We're not doing that, but we are thankful to the people who are doing that so that we can talk about their work. Yeah. And, and, and spread the word. Right. And amplify their message. Amplify. Amplify. There. There. Message, 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 message. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Right. It, it's kind of echoing here, right? I guess. Here. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't have that. Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, you go. So I have a, uh, a triple whammy. Cool. <laughs> You're looking at me like, uh... <laughs> what you gonna hit me with? It's a mystery, a murdery, and a thingy. Woo! The mystery is... Is that our first? Mystery, murdery, and thingy? No. Yeah, but not I, even I just, I just kind of 
thought about it this way. Cool. Mystery being we don't know who the culprit is. Okay. Murdery being it was a murderer. And Figgy being it, the, her ghost is walking around. Noise. Noise. So, let me get comfy here. Okay. Yes. Ugh. You can hear our, our lovely um, sit-back lawn chairs making their little creaky chairs. noises. I didn't know what to call them. And then, sorry, I'm very burpy today. It, I, in the moment, I just said lawn chairs because I didn't know what else to say. They're like lounge chairs. They're like... Mm. Uh, They're the kind of chairs that you would sit next to a campfire on. No, they're not. Those are like the That's ones... That's exactly what they are. Are you talking about the one... There's like one outside, like... Well, with... these are the same kind of chairs. No, they're not. Well, just because they don't have a cup holder? A cup holder. A, it's, it's a different kind of material. Okay, we're really talking there way too much about these chairs. Arm, there's armrests. It folds up differently. Okay. I, I concede. Go on with your story. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to talk about Ella... Maud Cropsey, dum dum dum, which has nothing to do with Cropsey, the documentary, the creepy. Because that was my first thought. Very creepy. Yeah. Missing, missing children. Oh, that's right. Too. Right, right, right. Um, so Ella Maud Cropsey. So basically, she was found floating in a river in November of 1901. So she's got an odd, mysterious ghost story. Um, so she, her family called her Nell. And in 1898, they moved to Elizabeth City, North Carolina, um, all the way from Brooklyn, New York. Um, so the thing about this story is that it's, a, it's like, it definitely really happened because there's records of it. But it's still a little bit, it has, has a little bit of lore to it. And I found a lot of different details Mm -hmm. Some were mentioned, some weren't, um, such as how big the family was. Um, the family had four kids, some say five, uh, but the story definitely focuses on the two eldest daughters, and that's Ella, Nell, and Olive, who, we'll call, who we call Ollie. And so as this family moves into um, Elizabeth City, they are a wealthy, well-to-do family, and the two eldest daughters quickly attract suitors. Ollie attracted a man named Roy Crawford and Nell attracted a man named Jim Wilcox. Now Jim Wilcox was the son of the local sheriff and Nell was 16 at the time that she started seeing Jim. And um, Jim was five years older than her. And so they got a really, they got along really well. They you know, quote unquote courted each other because this is you know early twentieth century right. here. And they had been uh, dating, you know, dating uh, for three years, and their relationship soon got kind of rocky because the dynamics were changing. Nell kind of felt like she wanted a family now she was at that age i mean she was 19 but still she felt almost a spinster almost <laughs> and jim was kind of like meh so still wanted to sow his wild oats they didn't have the same type of um future in mind as so often happens one person's more into the other person than it always it happens often very often happens yes so the last time she was seen 
was November 20th, 1901. So what happened that night was Jim, he visits the Cropsey family and asks to speak with Nell on the front porch alone. Jim was the last person to see her and the last time she was seen by her sister or family was that night. Bef like before she like walked out on the porch, closed the door and they talked. Um, apparently during this time, Ollie heard a thump, but she ignored it. So what happened on the porch was there was a, I've got a couple, like I said, there's a couple different sources. Some talk about a, a fight on the porch. Um, some don't, but it was, but it was definitely Jim came to talk to Nell to break things off with her, to break off the relationship. And the last time he claimed that he saw her was 11 o'clock on the porch and he left her. He left her alone. Crying. That's what he says. That's what he says. Yes. Some sources say he gave her back the keepsake photo that he had kept of her. Others say that Nell gave Jim an umbrella as a gift and that was what was found on the porch. Hmm. Um, Jim wasn't, like I said, he wasn't interested in marriage. So this is like why they, he felt he needed to break it off. Del wanted a home, uh, Nell wanted a, a home life. She wanted kids, that classic settle down type feel. And again, Jim was five years her senior. So... And yet, so much her junior in maturity. I know, right? Odd how that's not odd. <laughs> because, as I've so often remarked, men at any age reach the level of emotional maturity that an average woman reaches at the age of 15. Wow. And that is just a fact. Wow. Men are emotional children. That's good to know. I'm going to use that to my advantage. Thank you very much. Yep. Oh, yeah. We, we're also e easily manipulated. <laughs> oh, oh, honey, I know. <laughs> oh, yes. I know. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, Neil, N Neil, Nell became disinterested in the relationship. Some, some places say that she started flirting with other men to get Jim pr to propose to her. But out of the four places I looked, there was only one place that said that. And so I think that's highly up for debate, debate, especially since in stories like these, women often get the blame and they have to turn, have to be turned into some sexual object and then right. they're judged by it and this, that, and the other thing. And so I saw that and I was like, that's an unnecessary detail that I didn't find anywhere else. Um, so I just thought that was, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Roy Crawford, who was Ali's suitor, he had also been visiting that night. And when he left, he also said that he knows he saw no sign of Jim or Nell. The family didn't start worrying until a bit later that night. And the timeline of this is a little bit weird, but I think I got it down. Um, it's, it differs. Mm -hmm. The neighbors got what, what got what got them um, up and like out of bed was the neighbors said, someone's stealing your pigs, Cropsy, someone's stealing your hogs. Hey! Hey, Cropsy! Hey, Cropsy! Hey! Someone's stealing your pigs over bam, there! Bam, bam, bam! Hey, I see him running away with your pig! We're being stolen! That's the that's how it happened. Um Sure. That that's was, how it happened in your head. I was playing a video that was actual audio from the event itself. Oh, I know. <laughs> is that a good save? No. <laughs> I think we need, to, we need to work on our improv. Okay. So, yeah, there had a 
they had a pig. This was like a big house, by the way. I'll talk about the mm-hmm. house a little bit later. Okay. But they had a pig pen in the back um, at that time. Sure. Upon further investigation, it was found that none of the hogs were actually missing. And when Ollie saw that Nell wasn't in her bed, the family called the police, stating that Nell had disappeared. Some other sources said that um, Ollie checked for Nell before neighbors called them about the pigs. But um, it's, again, it's a little bit fuzzy. So Jim was under suspicion immediately because he was the la- he was the boyfriend, obviously. And he was the last person to have seen her. So he told the sheriff that he left Nell at around 11.15. He went to a bar with some friends, had a drink, and then he was home by midnight. Um, oh, no, no. The sheriff is his dad. He told the chief. The chief came in. I was going to say, I couldn't remember if the sheriff was his dad or if it was the other... The sheriff is Jim Wilcox's dad, and the chief right. was the one who was investigating. Because your dad's not going to investigate you for murder. Yes, and right. the sheriff also said that, yes, he was home by, bin- by midnight. Credible. Um, yes. Because the photo was never found, the one that he supposedly gave her back, um, he, was lo- he was looked at closely. Also... An empty bottle of whiskey was found by the bank, and the bartender said that he sold a similar bottle to Jim that night. Now, I only found that particular detail one other place, but I thought it was interesting. I think he's guilty. I don't, actually. I know. We'll we'll keep going. Okay. So, when morning came and she was still missing, the townspeople, there was a whole search party. They searched everywhere, um, but she was never found. Jim was then arrested on suspicion of kidnapping, and he was kept in jail so a month goes by uh december 27th actually over a month after her disappearance nell's body was found floating in the pasquatank river pasquatank river which was right near their house a few days before nell's body was discovered the family had received a letter with the new york postmark that uh, containing what claimed to be a detailed account of what happened the night of Nell's disappearance. It was an anonymous letter. It stated that Nell Cropsey had interrupted a vagrant attempt to steal the family pig, and upon being discovered, the man grabbed a heavy stick and knocked her unconscious, and then the unknown man carried Nell down to the river, stole a boat, and he rowed into the river and dumped her body into the Pasquatank. Pasquatank. The I'm not sure how to say that. The letter included a map which marked the spot where her body could be found, and the spot uh, marked was very close to where her body was actually eventually found. But the letter came after her body was found, right? No, the letter came before. Oh, a few okay. days before. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's when um, uh, searches started happening again during okay. this time. Right, right. So, blah, blah, blah. And who sent this letter? Uh, and, sorry, hold on. I've got a question. What's <clears throat> Who sent this letter? That's my question. No one knows. Oh, no one knows. That's the oh, mystery. That's the, that's the, mi- oh, that's Whoa. the, mi- I see now. Okay. So we're dealing with a mystery here. (gasps) What? What? It's like that's the point of the podcast. What? (laughs) What? 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 
But meme. 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 So. No I cow. Kyle. It's time for bed. Okay, sorry. Go, please, please keep you going. You need to cut out like most of that. No. Whatever. Do what you please. Yes, I'm the one who does the editing. Okay, so I also read um, on a couple of sources. I thought this was like kind of bullshit, but I read it a couple times. <laughs> okay. So uh, during the search, a psychic got involved, and she, nice. Yeah. This bitch kind of led the police on a goose chase. She didn't help at all. <laughs> she called herself Madame Snell Newman, and she had come from Norfolk, Virginia. She told them about a vision that she had, and she said that Jim had chloroformed her, wrapped her in a blanket, killed her, but she was never specific on how, and threw her body into a well. And all the wells were searched, but obviously her body was found in the river. Right. So she was way off. I think, wait, are you saying psychics can be wrong? <gasps> Yep. That's crazy. I, like, want to believe that psychics are real, but I know they're not. Well, and how it do we makes know, me sad. Um, how do we know that there isn't one that's real? And all the other ones that are bullshit are just given that the, the real one's a bad name. Um, we don't. That's the answer <laughs> to my question. Thank you for listening. All right, bye. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. listening. And that's the episode. Now go keep going. Um, okay, so there were autopsy reports, and it said that she she had been killed by a blow to the head and placed into the water afterwards. So, like the the letter suggested that she was hit in the head. The pig thief theory was um, kind of blown off because the town focused on the fact that Jim owned a blackjack, and I actually looked up what a blackjack was. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know. What it's that is. it's like a a club and it's used as a weapon. Oh. So, and this was also one of those things where Nell, she was this beautiful young woman, 19, part of a, a, a well-to-do family. She was admired. She was well-loved. And Jim was the person that was ultimately blamed. They wanted somebody to blame. And that happens in obviously so, so many cases. Um, so Jim was tried twice. In the first one, he was sentenced to death, but there was an appeal. And then the second, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He didn't end up spending all those 30 years. He was pardoned in 1920 by Governor Thomas Rickett, who was governor at the time. He, so when Jim went back to the community, he was ostracized, he was shunned, uh, made fun of, and he fell into a deep depression, became an alcoholic, and he shot and killed himself in 1934. And from the day, up until the day he died, he was always maintaining his innocence. He never admitted to anything. He always said he was innocent. One source talked about how Jim had spoke with a man named W.O. Saunders, the editor of the Elizabeth City newspaper, and revealed everything he knew about the murder. And based on what Jim told Saunders, Saunders was convinced that Jim was innocent and that uh, he planned to publish his story. However, two weeks after that interview was when Jim Wilcox committed suicide. 
And shortly thereafter, uh, Saunders, who was going to publish a story, died in a car accident. Weird. Right? So his words were never heard. Another source said that supposedly Nell's mother, Mary Cropsey, lost her mind and died in an asylum. Her sister, Ollie, became a recluse, and and one of Nell's brothers, William Jr., committed suicide by ingesting poison in 1913. Roy Crawford. So this, this fucked up the family. Um, pretty, Sounds like it. Pretty bad. Yeah. Roy Crawford, who was Ollie's former suitor, also committed suicide in 1908. Um, I didn't hear this from any, any other source, but it's said that he committed suicide in 1908 because he did it out of, because he felt guilty. He did it out of guilt supposedly he found Jim standing over Nell's body and helped him to move her to the water. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Totally fucked up. So, like I said, there's a ghost story aspect to this. The ghost of Ella Maud Cropsey has been seen at the house. Um, The house is in Elizabeth City, uh, North Carolina. It's still there. Their property is called Seven Pines. Um, I don't know if it's called that today. I think it is, but it was definitely called that when they like when they moved in back then. Mm-hmm. Um, those who have lived in the home have all reported strange things happening, and it, it was like placid ghost stuff, like gusts of cold air, doors slamming shut, lights flickering on and off. But there have also been reports that beautiful Nell, as what which is what she um, what people began to call her. Um, can sometimes be seen looking out the window or lurking on the porch out front. Some residents say that her figure has even appeared in their bedroom at night. Mm. Um, She's also been seen walking by the riverbank where her body was found as well. And to this day, her murder has never been fully solved solved and her ghost is still reported once in a while. And the house is still there. Like I said, it's a private residence. It is open on special occasions, such as the Elizabeth City Ghost Walk, mm. which takes place once a year. Twelve dollars yes. for adults, ten dollars for uh, <laughs> with military ID. I read. Should we go? Sure, North Carolina. <laughs> I like North Carolina. Let's go to North Carolina. Yeah, that's where I went to college. Oh, very true. Yeah. So yeah, that's the story of. The very mysterious story of Elamod Cropsey. Yeah. Nice. Like I said, I think he's innocent. Well, it seems like maybe that's like the general consensus. If they're saying her murder is like not truly solved. Yeah, because he was like, he was like sentenced but then acquitted, and then he was pardoned. I mean, know? there's, yeah, but being pardoned doesn't mean. I mean, being pardoned means that you have to admit that you did the crime, technically, but. Um, there was no, like, real evidence tying him to the actual crime, right? Nope. It was all just the fact that he was the last one to see her alive. Yep. That we know of. Yep. Hmm. And the fact that the photo couldn't be found and there was one other thing. He was an asshole. He had a blackjack. Oh, right. The blackjack. It'll get you every time. And that the whiskey bottle was found by the riverbank. However, that was also one of... Um, a more detailed thing that I found in one of my right, right, resources. Right. Uh, w- all of my sources, I feel like, were solid sources. Like, they all had the same basic story, but some of them had more details than others. Mm-hmm. And some of those 
details were very interesting and made the story better, so I put them in. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so what were your sources? Sources, NorthCarolinaGhost.com, Seeks Ghost uh, blog post, posted by Virginia Lamkin, and a blog called Fairweather Lewis. I didn't find anything on Wikipedia. That's weird. I found a lot of find a grave, and her mm-hmm. and you can like look at her gravesite and shit. Cool. People are into that shit. Yeah. Find a grave. Well, I read on Reddit, my favorite place, that um, one of the, I was on Ask Reddit. Somebody was like, "What's like a hobby that you do that like you or something that you're proud of that you don't get to like brag? You don't ever get to talk about." And this one guy talks about how he like identifies. Um, like unnamed graves and stuff. Hmm, that is cool. Yeah. Nice. Neato. Um, Gee whiz. Gee whiz. Hey, Mario Silva, are you ready for some weird, weird shit, shit in the weird news? Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in, in the, the news. news. Weird, weird shit, shit in, in the news. news. Wah, wah. Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird. <laughs> okay. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> right. Um, should I go? I'll, I'll go first again. Go, 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 okay. go, go. So. <laughs> this was pretty popular. Maybe y'all have heard of it. Maybe. It's pretty fucking funny. Um, so the, the, there's multiple articles about this, but uh, I've got one yes. up by Amanda Jackson over at CNN. And the headline is, A Judge sides with parents and rules their 30-year-old son must move out. Get out of our house. (laughs) So, 30-year-old man lives in New York. Apparently, he keeps a room in his parents' house, but he does not speak to his parents. Also, he does not pay them rent. They don't make his food. They don't do his laundry. He just lives there, okay? Wait, he doesn't pay them rent? He... Does not pay them rent. They did not mention rent anywhere. That, in fact, they have tried to give him money to leave. To leave. Oh my god! They have sent him multiple eviction letters. Yeah, eviction letters from their lawyer to their own house to their son who it's lives like there. Who he does? He doesn't talk to them. They just so pick weird. out their mail with their name on it and leave everything else. I assume they slip it under the door. That's what I assume. I, I'm not entirely sure. But, um, yeah, they, they offered to give him, like, $1,100 to go, and he wouldn't do it. And um, so he took them to court, and he said, actually, uh, you have to give me six months to, to move out because of this and this and things. And the judge was like, no, that none of what you said is real. <laughs> and apparently, the, yeah, and, and apparently the judge showed him, like, a particular court case like about this that was like said that what he said was not real but he <laughs> um, would not relent. false shut down right the judge did say that he was like pretty impressed with you know this guy's half-ass internet legal research and apparently he was trying to make legal arguments like he wasn't just saying like you know i'm i don't want to go you know my parents are terrible whatever he was, like, actually trying to, like, be lawyerly or whatever. So it wasn't like, Mom, Dad, you're ruining my life. Yeah, he doesn't talk to them, including he didn't talk to them in the court, where they also were. That is Sitting bizarre. in the gallery. I wonder... Very bizarre. Something must have happened. 
well, we were talking about this, like, clearly this is not the whole story. Like, something's going on, right? Like, well, they, and they talked, too, about how he apparently is just, like, a big attention seeker. Like, he, um, oh. when he, the, the judge called him up to the bench to, like, talk to him privately. And, <laughs> and he was, like, talking about how the mics he wouldn't be able to pick him up or something. So he like tried to take the podium with him that had the mics on it up to the bench. Yeah. And he also yelled over to the camera, the TV crews and stuff that were there. Like, Hey, when this is done, like meet me out there for a press conference, like in the court, he's yelling at them. That seems pretty professional to me. Right. So he, he lost. <laughs> yeah, he did not win his case in this instance. It seems like he wasn't even close, really. No, no, no. no. Um, however, he does state that he will appeal. And that his parents will allow him to stay for another six months. <laughs> yes. Mean, okay. Greatest court case <laughs> Of all time. That's insane, dude. <laughs> right. Marbury versus Madison. I, Move over. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that it's become news. <laughs> well, it's just, it's a human interest story. That's you know, true. I have one. I love. Okay, I have go. a human yes. interest story, please, I think. Please, So, this is so backwards. The um, titles from the Telegraph um, in, in Georgia, and... The title says, adults were at swing set until six and 12 year old with rocks and a gun showed up. What? say. <laughs> yeah. Which one had the rocks and which one had the gun? So what happened was there were a handful of, of adults at a park. It, this happened in Atlanta, Georgia on a Sunday afternoon. And they reported that a uh, six year old and 12 year old came up and asked if they could use the swing. The adults said, sure. Um, and so th- they moved out of the way, they started to walk away, and then um, around 1.30 p.m., oh wait, no, hold on, sorry, I messed up. Yeah, the adult, the adults told the two children they were welcome to the swing set, and they started uh, to walk away, um, yeah, around 1.30 p.m., and then that's when the, these kids pulled out their weapons, a rocks the size of baseballs, and what appeared to be a black handgun, they don't know for sure. Hmm. Um, but they like started throwing rocks at him, striking two of them and leaving one with an abrasion on his calf. And then the 12 year old was holding uh, the handgun and he was pointing at the groups. And Jesus. like I said, they didn't know if it was real or fake. And they fled the scene and no one knows who they are, but they have descriptions. Uh, six-year-olds wearing gym shorts, dark greenish-blue shirt wrapped around his head and face. And the 12-year-old was wearing khakis and an orange shirt also wrapped around his head and the lower part of his face. Very strange. It reminds me of listening to Mike Tyson's autobiography on audiobook and him talking about how he was like eight or nine or something and he would walk around New York with a gang of kids and he would have, like, a huge machine gun. <gasps> and he would just be walking around with it when he was, like, seven or eight, just, like, with this gang of kids. And then they would like go... Like a real machine gun? Yeah. What? And then they would go and break into people's houses and steal oh. shit. Yeah. So, like, a real-life kid gang? 
New York in the 70s. That's nuts, dude. Anywhere <laughs> in the 70s. Jesus. All right. We're back, man. This we're we're in the seventies again with all these serial killers around and have you seen all this weird terrorism going on? I know you don't pay attention to this like I do. Yeah, but the kind of fashion that's trending right now, my God, it's all sixties, seventies. It's uh, insane. Yeah, I don't pay attention to that at all. There's just some I've seen like straight up bell bottoms lately, and the flowery t-shirts and of course the festival like gear. Right. Um, EDC was this past weekend. Player. I don't know. Yeah, you lost me. <laughs> EDC means Electric Daisy Carnival, and oh, it's a okay. EDM concert. And I think I would go just to people watch. Mm-hmm. It's one of those places. Anyway. Okay, I think I'm done. <laughs> I'm done too. Okay, thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks for listening. Um, like, comment, subscribe, all yeah. of the things. Like Tell us. Tell your friends. Give us a buck on Patreon. That'd be cool. Comment us. Tell your friends. Okay, bye. Um, wait, what was I going to say? <laughs> wait, no, I was just going to like, okay. So if you do give us that dollar, which we would be so appreciative of, we will give you a shout out, right? But I, I was just going to shout out some of, the cities that we are getting some good listening numbers from. So people are listening to the pod. We're, Bloomington we're, Normal! We're gro- <laughs> Not so much Bloomington Normal. Actually, a lot in Bloomington, Indiana. What? Which is kind of funny. That's kind but of cool. But our number one city for, like, this past, like, little bit has actually been Wenatchee, Washington. I want to go to Washington. Right? I think it it might be... Brendan, I'm not sure. <laughs> I like looking at these things and like wondering who they are. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina. We've been getting a ton from Charlotte, North Carolina. I which to go there too. I went to Davidson, so I'm thinking that maybe some Davidson people are listening. Spread the word. So thank you. Mario loves Steph Curry a lot. Shout you out, if Ste- Steph, if you're listening, Steph. <laughs> Steph, I love you. No, you're really great. Steph should listen to our podcast. If you know Stephen Curry, tell him to listen. And then tell Dude, him can you imagine? to tell all his famous friends. Um, oh, there was a really funny sounding uh, Australian city. Uh, it was called like Un- Undurupoli or something. Nice. I don't, I'm probably like horribly mangling that. So if you're listening from there, send me, send us an email. Tell us how to actually say it. So other places do. Oh, we've gotten a few listens in, in Africa. Yes. Like two in Kenya and one in South Africa. you said you wanted to do an African story. I did do an African story. I did Great, great Zimbabwe. I just oh, did it. Yeah. It was like two episodes ago. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll stop my rambling. Oh, that but that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Ancient ruined city. I yeah. love those. I need to do more of those, actually. Those are cool. Do, like, talk about, like, the, the pyramids. Yeah, there's a lot of different pyramids throughout the world. I read on Reddit. <laughs> it's like my life now. It was a picture of the three pyramids of Giza. And like, I think it was like, like Venus, Mer- Mercury, and Mars mm. were all lined up mm. like perfectly with the pyramids. Right. And it only happens every like 2,000 years or something. Right. Isn't that weird? There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Weird weird um how much of this are you gonna keep 
Probably most of it. All of it! All the way. Okay. Um, good job by you! Bye. Bye.